Welcome to the Centre for Investment Excellence, a production of JP Morgan Asset Management. The Centre for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode is Sustainable Investing and Infrastructure and has been recorded for consultants, institutional and professional investors. My name is George Blake and with me today is Jennifer Wu, Head of Sustainable Investing at JP Morgan Asset Management, and Paul Ryan and Matt LeBlanc from our Infrastructure Investments Group. Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Yep, thank you. Let's jump right in. Sustainable investing is a topic that we're addressing more and more in client discussions. Here at JP Morgan, we've made it a top priority to address sustainable investing solutions that consider environmental, social, and governance factors. Sustainable investing, or ESG, can mean a variety of things to different people. And as the topic continues to gain momentum, there is no doubt these definitions will continue and evolve over time. From what I've seen working both in the UK and the US, the Europeans are very much at the forefront of defining what ESG means for them, but Asia and the US are quickly gaining speed. Throughout the course of this podcast, We will discuss and classify what sustainable investing means at JP Morgan, and importantly, how we implement it within client portfolios, specifically today across our core infrastructure platform. Jennifer, let's get started. As our new head of sustainable investing, can you talk to us about what sustainable investing is, how it has evolved over the last couple of decades, and what is driving the change in this space? Absolutely. Like you just said, George, earlier, There are many different definitions in the market about what sustainable investing and or ESG is these days. But for us, it's pretty straightforward. Sustainable investing, really the way we look at it is that it's a forward-looking investment approach that recognizes how we live in a fast-changing world and how we take such into consideration when we make investment decisions. So really there are four key drivers behind this whole emergence of sustainable investing over the course of the last three to five years, especially. Number one, you know, we have the physical aspect of the climate system changing, which has had and will continue to have a profound impact on our economy. And then secondly, technology innovation and disruption. So on the one hand, we're exploring more efficient ways of production and managing natural resources. But then on the other hand, we also face new risks arising from these new technologies, such as cybersecurity, job displacements, etc. So that's another key driver. The third key driver, in our view, is around the fact that we live now in a much more stringent regulatory environment. And there is a lot more scrutiny on the impacts of company operations on the environment and society, as well as the demand for greater disclosure of such impact and investment portfolios. Last but not least, really changing societal norms. So you see how stock price react to issues that they probably would not have done so before. As an example, like corporate scandals can now result in long-lasting reputational damages. So in a nutshell, I think recognizing and understanding how these changes and trends may impact the long-term sustainability of the economy and companies' business models is a core part of how we think about investment, and that is sustainable investing. So a forward-looking investment approach 
that looks to deliver a stronger financial return over the long run. Great. Jennifer, as a firm, we consider ESG integration as foundational. And I know that we've committed to integrating 100% of our investment strategies to be ESG integrated over time. How do we build products on this ESG foundation? And more explicitly, how do we lean into sustainability factors? This is a great question. We've been seeing increasing number of clients who approach us expressing interest in ESG and sustainable investing. And as you rightfully say so, we provide as basic ESG integration across all of our products, which really take into consideration ESG information that we believe are financially material. And on top of that, we also have a framework that we design to help clients who, in addition to seeking a financial return, they also have a specific environmental and or social outcome in mind that they want to achieve with their investment portfolio. And that framework we have includes five categories of investment strategies that more explicitly lean into sustainability. So we start with values, norms-based exclusionary screens. Basically, these are for clients who want to remove exposure to sectors that do not align with their investment beliefs, you know, such as a portfolio that excludes controversial weapons, alcohol, tobacco, etc. And for clients who look to lean further into sectors and or companies that best align with their sustainable objectives, We provide investment portfolios that positively tilted towards sectors and companies and or projects that outperform their peer groups in respect of sustainability performance as measured by our own proprietary ESG metrics. This type of what we call positive tilt, best-in-class investment approach would also work with clients who believe that the most sustainably managed company will generate the best risk-adjusted return over the long run. And then at the end of the spectrum of our framework, we have thematic and impact investing that focus specifically on one or two sustainability-related themes with the goal to generate a quantifiable impact outcome on top of a financial return. And I want to also highlight how it is actually quite important to understand, first and foremost, the motivation for each client, as the solution could actually look pretty different. So for example, climate change. Climate change risks and opportunities as a theme is really key to many of our clients in how they think about their asset allocation and investment portfolios for the next 10 years. Any of the five approaches that I just described could potentially be applied, but to really achieve the best outcome for the clients, it's really important for us to really understand the full characteristics of the client's portfolio and their desired outcome. So, for example, the solution could very well be as simple as removing exposure to, say, fossil fuel industry if the primary objective of the client is around risk management with a long investment horizon. However, for clients who also wish to tap into, say, new investment opportunities arising from energy transition in the next decade, this may not be enough. They may want to be more exposed to investment opportunities in, say, green infrastructure such as renewables, water sanitation, or even with a particular tilt towards companies that are readier for the energy transition. All of these options are possible, but the bottom line is we also need to really understand what clients' motivations are before we can advise the most appropriate investment solutions. Great. Jennifer, do you think it's reasonable to believe that all investment strategies should be managed for sustainability? 
And if so, how is ESG integration different to what a fund manager should already be doing and considering within their portfolio? Absolutely. And this is really what we do with ESG integration. As a matter of fact, I think the whole movement, if you like, started off as a way to identify and manage risks associated with these sustainability-related trends. So like I said earlier, we always think about changes and new trends and their potential impact on financial performance. And how do these trends in the context of sustainability manifest themselves? really through a selection of environmental, social, and governance factors. And we use these factors as a basis to measure how well a company is coping with change, as well as how ready a company may be for a potential new growth opportunity. So this is ESG integration, and that's really the foundation of all of our investments. And that includes traditional planned vanilla strategies. The goal ultimately is really to deliver a stronger risk-adjusted financial return. How is that different from everything else that we've been doing? Well, two things. One, you know, the key new phenomenon that I mentioned that's associated with the four key drivers that we talked about earlier. And more importantly, new data. We now have more data and more technology than ever before. So if you think about how 90% of the data that we have basically was born out of the past two to three years, that's amazing. And what this means is that we don't really have to always rely on what company financial reports tells us or what the management tells us about their operations. Right? We can actually tap into what we call unstructured data sources to get a better idea about companies' operations, especially in the context of environmental, social, and governance issues. So for example, you know, we can look at satellite images to calculate how much carbon is actually being emitted by a particular plant. We could also scrape through NGO reports to understand potential impacts on you know, the local communities and environment of a particular manufacturing facility. So all of that is possible. And here at JP Morgan Asset Management, you know, by the end of 2019, all of our investment teams would have completed the build-out of a clear process that considers these material ESG factors across the entire cycle of their investment management processes. So from a research analyst how he or she looks at and engage companies on these ESG issues, to a PM, including ESG flags as part of the portfolio construction decision-making process, how these issues are documented and monitored in the system, and to really be able to report to clients on these ESG considerations. So I would say it is very much integrated into what we do day-to-day, but we're also actively pursuing opportunities whereby we can tap into some of those new data sources that allow us to better understand, you know, companies' performance against these ESG factors. Thanks, Jen. I would like to transition now and bring Paul and Matt into the conversation. Both Paul Ryan, CEO and Portfolio Manager, and Matt LeBlanc, CIO of our Infrastructure Investments Group, have a tremendous experience and expertise in the ESG space. Their fund incorporates ESG principles throughout its investment strategy and ongoing asset management process. A reflection of that discipline can be seen in their A rating for direct infrastructure on the 2018 UN PRI annual assessment report. And the fund ranked second out of 18 peers in the 2018 Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark. Matt and Paul are uniquely positioned to have this conversation with us today given their stakeholder commitment and focus on sound governance. So with that, Paul, 
Can you speak to your process in the infrastructure space? Why is governance such an important consideration for your investments? And how do you incorporate ESG into governance calendars and frameworks? Sure. Look, for us, it really begins with governance. Governance is really what provides a foundation for effective strategy, execution, and risk management at the asset or the company, including societal and environmental factors alongside other important stakeholder groups and elements of strategy and risk management, including customers, communities, and employees. So we really do focus on beginning with a strong foundation of governance. In terms of how we incorporate that into our framework, one of the things we spend a lot of time on is a consistent approach to governance calendars for each of our boards that incorporates ESG and other important elements of strategy, risk management, and the other stakeholders I've just mentioned. And we try to do that consistently across each of our boards. The other really important element is the who, who is on our boards, and these directors need to come with appropriate qualifications and experience, and I think increasingly a real diversity of background to challenge the new issues that we face today in managing essential services and assets for communities and customers and other important stakeholders, including regulators. Great. Matt, it's been considered that ESG factors come fairly naturally to private infrastructure investors. The E for environmental and the G for governance tend to be clear for most investors. Can you speak to which social practices ultimately lead to better outcomes for investors and how are these measured? Thanks, George. Yeah, I think it's very clear that governance is the most important element, as Jennifer and Paul both highlighted, but social is critical. And it starts with the social license for infrastructure. That's to provide safe, reliable, clean, and affordable service. Starting from that basis, you can immediately go to who are the important stakeholders you need to manage on an ongoing basis, communities and customers. From customers, you know, there's a lot of hidden value, hidden intangibles, that's both offense and defense. Working with those stakeholders and what's most important to them, helping to educate them on how the business works and how it integrates the communities, and ultimately looking forward to long-term partnerships. Without those elements and without that real engagement with customers and communities, you can't achieve a lot of these factors that we're talking about and the long-term outcomes that are critical to the business plans. Great. Thanks, Matt. Let's change gears a little bit and talk about another topic on investors' minds. We know that previous energy transitions were long-term, structural changes, and they proved to be wildly disruptive. How should we think about the next energy transition in the medium term? I think energy transition is a common way to characterize some of the things happening in the E, but I'd like to dive down one layer of detail beyond that because a lot of the reporting we're seeing is really just that reporting with an eye to compliance without looking forward and saying what's going to happen. I think the biggest consideration in the energy transition is that these assets in the energy value chain are wasting assets. We don't know how long they're going to be around, and it's not reflected in their physical asset composition or even in the industrial economics as we think about them today. And so one of the most important things we're trying to work through is what's going to have the most important impact today, whether that's policies or laws, changing industrial economics, or is it customer preferences? We think that the customer preferences are actually leading the way, and a few grassroots movements are actually affecting those other things. But that's where the big data that you're sorting through in customer and consumer demand can change those dynamics. Tracking those over time is going to be really important and seeing how responsive these large capital intensive and commodity cycle businesses can really be. 
Right now, it's going to impact all infrastructure assets, some more than others. It starts with probably the fossil fuel heavy, the oil refined products. Those go into transportation. We can't live without transportation in the business or personal lives. And so thinking about how those customer preferences change locally, regionally, and nationally will probably be more in the hands of the consumers in the near term. For right now, there's a lot of talk about natural gas. Is natural gas a transition fuel? Is natural gas getting a pass for now? I think the general consensus is that it is. As an owner of these assets who has impacts across the portfolio, the key will be not make any immediate sudden moves, really assess where we are on the journey and figure out the interaction of policy, industrial economics, and customer preferences with the focus on the latter, really working back from the sources of demand, and we have the data to do that. Wow, that's really interesting. Paul, probably the question I get asked the most and one that's at the forefront of a lot of investors' minds is, Are we foregoing investment returns in implementing ESG factors? Absolutely not. We really think, George, that sustainable long-term returns are supported by thoughtful, well-executed strategies and risk management, and that incorporates ESG. It incorporates a number of other important things, such as corporate culture. And at the end of the day, it's just really good business. I couldn't agree more, and that makes complete sense. Paul, Matt, thank you for your contribution to this conversation. You've given our listeners a lot to think about in the infrastructure realm. Jennifer, I'd love to jump back over to you to wrap things up with one last question. If we look forward 10 to 15 years down the road, what does sustainable investing look like from a global perspective? That's a really hard question, George, but I'm going to try to break it down into two parts, value and values. So from a value perspective, I believe financially material ESG considerations will just become part of what we do when we make investments, like how we gradually adapted the concept of inflation over the past decades. 10 years from now, we'll probably no longer be calling this ESG anymore. It's just going to be part of what we do. And in fact, I think there will probably be new phenomenon and new data, and we will most likely be calling these things something else. But one thing for sure is that I think climate change is a key theme, will be better understood across the three ESG dimensions, especially within the next five to 10 years. I mean, the way how climate change is currently being considered is really only scratching the surface, and Matt talked about that as well, because climate change is not really just one of the E factors in ESG. It is a mega theme that cuts across the spectrum of ESG and has significant implications on how our economy and businesses are going to grow, For example, natural disasters, yes, could bring significant losses if a company doesn't really manage the risk well. But global warming and water scarcity as a result of climate change could also have tremendous impact on public health, population growth, and migration patterns. At company level, it could lead to lower productivity and health and safety issues. And these are traditionally classified as the S of ESNG. You know, you need a strong board to be able to lead companies through this transition and shift business models as a result of what is happening with climate change. So if climate change is only confined as one of the E factors, what you end up with is only focusing on carbon footprint. And that's only just one aspect of the potential risk and opportunities. When it comes to values, I think sustainable investing driven by values will definitely stay. You know, if we look at the history of investments, exclusionary screens driven by individual investors' values have long existed, and values will continue to change. 
Some people say that ultimately, what we are looking at in terms of our values around, you know, whether or not tobacco is good or bad, alcohol is good or bad, many of these things will converge. I certainly hope that one day we can all agree that diversity and inclusion is really going to be as important as exclusion of weapons of mass destruction amongst most of our investors. But I'm sure, given how diverse our society is and how smart we are, we're going to be facing with new issues and new crises that seek to shake our values again 10 to 15 years from today. So stay tuned. I think this space is going to evolve. And it's hard to predict what's going to happen 10 to 15 years from today, but we're hopeful. And at the core of what we believe is, as long as it's financially material, it is going to be a factor that we take into consideration when we make investment. And we are trying to find the best data sources out there available to help us to better understand tomorrow how companies and projects will play out against all of these issues. Jennifer, that was a brilliant note to end on. Thank you. From my personal perspective, it's clear that sustainable investing is not just the right thing to do; it's the prudent thing to do from an investment standpoint. So, with that, I'd like to close and say thank you all very much, and to our listeners, thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today on the Centre for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document. Their continued professional development activities on the online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes on iTunes and on our website. Recorded August thirteenth, twenty nineteen. For the purposes of MiFID two, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MiFID two MiFIR requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs, as non-independent research, have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research, nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This content is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product. Strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction. Nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition. Users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications, and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions. And are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given, and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results.
JP Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of JP Morgan Chase and & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored, and processed by JP Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our company's privacy policy. For further information regarding our regional privacy policies, please refer to the MEA Privacy Policy. For locational Asia-Pacific privacy policies, please click on the respective links. Hong Kong Privacy Policy, Australia Privacy Policy, Taiwan Privacy Policy, Japan Privacy Policy, and Singapore Privacy Policy. This communication is issued by the following entities. In the United Kingdom by J.P. Morgan Asset Management UK Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. In other European jurisdictions by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe, SARL. In Hong Kong by J.F. Asset Management Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds Asia Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Asia Limited. In Singapore by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Singapore Limited, co-reg number 197601586K or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Singapore Private Limited, co-reg number 201-120-355E. In Taiwan by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Taiwan Limited, in Japan by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Japan Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investments Advisors Association, Type II Financial Instruments Firms Association, and the Japan Securities Dealers Association and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency, Registration Number, Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, Number 330. In Australia, to wholesale clients, only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, CTH, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Australia Limited, ABN 5514383280, AFSL 376919, in Brazil by Banco J.P. Morgan S.A., in Canada for institutional clients' use only by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Canada, Incorporated, and in the United States by J.P. Morgan Distribution Services, Incorporated, and J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments, Incorporated, both members of FINRA, and J.P. Morgan Investment Management, Incorporated. In APAC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, and Singapore. For all other countries in APAC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2019, J.P. Morgan Chasing Company, all rights reserved.